Well, James Madison football has finally landed a quarterback. It's It's been years since they've had a quarterback in their recruiting class, but as of today, they have one. We'll, we'll see what happens on signing day. Anyway, welcome in. Today is Tuesday, July 2nd, and this is another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, JMU football beat writer at the paper and host of the podcast, joined alongside by Jim Sacco, sports editor, and Cody Elliott, prep writer at the Daily News Record. And on this 4th of July week, I guess, uh, fireworks for the football staff yeah. over there at Bridgeport. That's it. I mean, I just talking to you a little bit about it, it seems like a good get for the Dukes, eh? Yeah, I, I, w- I would say so. I mean, you look at the kiddies, an all-state, all-state performer, all-state selection in the 3A level in the state of Indiana, and won a state championship, led kind of an undefeated season there for the West Lafayette Red Devils. The Red Devils. Red Devils. Uh, as we found Scarlet out. Scarlet and gray. Team colors, scarlet and gray. So, yeah, Kyle Adams is, is the player that they landed uh, earlier today. Had been kind of in the mix for uh, a staff that was looking for a quarterback of their own uh, that they had recruited, uh, and he becomes kind of the latest commitment in, in a nice month that it's been for JMU, the fourth commitment in their 2020 class, and, and they land him at the quarterback spot. I guess the two big questions I got for you, Greg, and in order of importance here. Okay, has he ever had a triple X burger in West Lafayette? And then the other thing is, was I mean, he's right in Purdue's backyard. Was Purdue not in the mix? Was, were they, was he, is he not maybe a Power 5 QB? It seems like just looking at his stats or looking at his, you know, his height and weight a little bit, height might be an issue, uh, kept him out of Power 5 despite his, I mean, his yard totals are just borderline insane. Yeah, I mean, his statistics are definitely uh, impressive. You look, 3,900 passing yards, 47 touch, forty-seven passing touchdowns last year. Uh, but I even asked him about the Purdue thing uh, because, you know, Purdue's right there in, in, in West Lafayette. And he, he basically said he's got a good relationship with the coaches there at Purdue, uh, especially the quarterbacks coach, Brian Brom. Uh, but they kind of just they, they, they understand where each other is at. You know, Purdue's in the Big Ten. And he's only about six foot. Uh, so you add those two up, he, it just doesn't quite equate. Uh, even he, he said, you know, I'm not the prototypical six foot four uh, quarterback that you see in the Big Ten on Saturdays in the fall, you know, whether you're at Penn State or Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana, Wisconsin. You, you see kind of those bigger statue guys. Uh, and he, he's not that. He said, you know, what, what helps him at JMU is they run a similar system to what he's doing at West Lafayette now, kind of spread wide open, uh, very fast-paced, up-tempo offense. And he said that's a little bit more his skill set, whereas in the Big Ten things are a little bit slowed down. It's a little bit closer to the style that's used in the National Football League. He said that's not really his game, and and he's more, you know, uh, RPO, play-action pass. That's more his style uh, when when you look at him in terms of stylistically. Why not? Why not a good fit at Purdue? Uh, so that's that's why that's why he's not there. Uh, I think it's a good fit for JMU though, just in terms of what he brings to the table and the fact that he's not going to have to learn a totally new system to him. Is that how is that where you see him fitting in? Is in terms of you talked a little bit about what well, you talked a lot about, you know, the similar style offenses. Is maybe that's why you know he was targeted by Signetti as kind of like you know, hey, let's go after this kid hard. It was because of those offensive similarities that he's running in high school right now too, James Madison. Yeah, for for sure. He he said, you know, the big thing about the offense they run at West Lafayette High School is that it's all about taking what the defense gives them. 
Uh, and JMU, it's going to be the same thing. Signetti's has said already, you know, if, if teams are going to line up and play against the run, they're going to throw the ball. If teams line up and, and play against the pass, they're going to just run all over and over again while incorporating some of that quarterback run game uh, that he can certainly play. And I know uh, he said, you know, he had this great state championship game performance. It's, it's already kind of legendary there in the Hoosier State. Uh, but he, he had thrown for 466 passing yards and four touchdowns in that title game. The 466 passing yards is a state title game record. Uh, and he said basically the defense just challenged him and his receivers all day. And they, he said the offense was designed that day to, to beat, that, beat that style of play. Uh, whereas, you know, in other games, maybe his passing yards weren't as, as, as explosive and as ridiculous looking as that. But... Uh, you know, that's what was able to get the job done that day. So he said he's got kind of no problem spreading the ball around to different athletes in, in the passing game. And, and you know where he racked up all those yards, right? You know inside what building he racked up all those yards in the state championship game, right? Are oh, you listening VHSL? He did it at Lucas Oil Stadium. Yeah, he, he did it in the in an NFL facility, the Colts, the Colts home venue. Uh, and that was something he talked about, too. And it's kind of interesting when, when you go back to the Purdue point of view. Uh, one of his high school teammates uh, was the, is the son of... Uh, Daryl Hazel, the former Purdue coach, uh, and there was a connection there between Hazel, the older Hazel, and Shane Montgomery, uh, James Madison's new offensive coordinator. The two had crossed paths before, uh, so Kyle had told me that basically, uh, you know, that connection kind of helped him understand what Jamie was all about, and it was kind of nice to have, you know, a former college football coach uh, who's now with the Minnesota Vikings vouch for James Madison. So I thought that was kind of a neat uh, connection. And, and, and Adams, he even said, you know, between Montgomery's experience with the quarterback stuff, uh, having coached Ben Roethlisberger, and then Signetti's help uh, that with all the work that he's done uh, with the quarterbacks, whether it was him as a quarterback at West Virginia, uh, Signetti's experience there, or uh, all the different stops. He's been a quarterback coach at Kyle Adams. He basically said, you know, that's that's what sold him. Uh, he had two guys that knew the quarterback position really well and, and felt like he was best set up for success with that. One thing that intrigued me a lot with him is you have two offensive masterminds, is what I'd call them, working together, you know, to reach the same goal. And that's that's hard to stop. And that's the one thing that really caught my attention. And they're both I, – I, I love them both when I met them at first reaction. I'm like, these these are some guys I definitely would like to play for. Yeah, I mean, if you're in West Lafayette, I mean, you know who Ben Roethlisberger is. I mean, it's, you know. That's you, Mac country yeah, out there. I mean, yeah. You're all about that. And going back to the Purdue, and I don't want, I mean, obviously it seems like JMU had a nice sell on here and he was targeted. Was that, was there maybe, do you know if there's maybe like a, a preferred walk-on and this kid said like, nah, you know, I want, you know, I get it. You know, I, I'm not going to sniff a football in the Big Ten. I understand what I am here. Why am I going to go be a practice squad quarterback where I got, you know, an F, F, you know, an, an FBS or FCS school in Virginia that's kind of looking at me, wanting me to maybe, you know, take over the reins here in a couple of years. Right. I, I think he understood what level he could play at on a full ride. Okay. And that and that's the FCS level. I'm sure there are there would be opportunity if he wanted to be a preferred walk-on. I don't know if at Purdue, but maybe another FBS program. I think he realizes, you know, when you when you look at all his offers, and he said he's shutting the recruitment down now. So there, there's probably, if there are some, he's kind of just going to leave them uh, there. Uh, but basically, he, he had offers from Western Illinois, Indiana State, uh, Southeast Missouri State, uh, Bryant, 
uh, Moorhead State, all FCS schools. Okay. Uh, and he thought, you know, he wanted to play for a winner, and he wanted to play at the highest level he possibly could play at. And then when you throw in Montgomery and Signetti, uh, it kind of was the perfect fit for him at JMU. I think Furman and Wofford had also offered some better FCS programs, a little bit closer to the level that JMU was at. Uh, so when you have all those things combined, it just seemed like, you know, James Madison was the best fit. Yeah, 2 plus 2 equals 4 for this kid, it sounds like. I mean, it just seemed like, you know, just kind of a no-brainer at that point. Yeah, and another thing, and here you can hear him say it here, uh, he said, you know, he, he thought James Madison, just in terms of the expectation, uh, the importance it puts on football is a lot, lot, a lot like West Lafayette and Indiana. When it comes to football, it's it's unlike any level I've seen before at the FCS level. And you know, we've we visited quite a few schools, and there's just something different about them. And the thing I love the most is it's a football town, and I could definitely tell that. And that's what we are here in West Lafayette is we're a football town. What we want to do, all we want to do is win. We went 15-0 last year, won a state championship. So it's you know, the community really, you know, they really embrace football and the whole, you know, everyone shows out on Friday nights and stuff. And that's what I felt when I went there and stuff. And I'm like, this this is a different level. Some some specials going on here. So so there, there's Kyle Adams. They, they beat out the Leathernecks. Yeah, right. And, and they're, they're yeah. in Indiana State. You know, you talk about schools that are also closer to home for him. Uh, but you know, makes makes the decision to go to uh, go to Virginia, play for for JMU. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a nice move. I, I think you know it's uh, yeah. I mean that's I mean I I would always worry about you know I don't know. I mean I don't know what I'd be worried about. Never mind. I just knocked that thought out of my head. I, I mean it just seems like a really good fit for him. Yeah, it, it does, and that and I think the other thing that works here is the quarterbacks that James Madison has on its roster now. Danucci will be gone by the time he's enrolled. Uh, you look at Gage Maloney will be here. Cole Johnson, who might be here. Remember, Cole redshirted last year, so he's only redshirt junior this year. Has the option to come back for that fifth year if he wants it, or since he'll probably be graduated, he could he could just decide to move on. Uh, either way, there's going to be an open competition in 2020, and Kyle Adams basically said he's like, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. You know, he wanted to be part of a competition and have a chance to play right away. And you got to think if he is the handpicked guy. Uh, whether he comes in with a little bit of upper hand, doesn't he? Right. Like Maloney was always that highly touted guy by Houston, by Mike Houston and Donnie Kirkpatrick as their guy, you know, the, the Mr. Football in the state of South Carolina. And he was given every opportunity to win the job last year, even though they had brought Danucci in for competition. He was given the chance to win the job and, and didn't. I don't know if Signetti's staff, and I'm sure we'll find out eventually, values Maloney the same way the previous staff did. Uh, so that's something that, that is going to be have to be seen during training camp this year and, and really throughout the spring and summer next year uh, as, as Kyle Adams comes in. Remember, Signetti started Davis' cheek down at Elon as a true freshman, so there's clearly no fear of playing a true freshman if he's the right fit. And, and you know, maybe Maloney is the, the is the pusher. Maybe they value him as a pusher. You know, here, here's the guy who's going to push Danucci and, and, you know, put you know light a fire on Danucci a little bit and put a little bit of a fry at him to force him to be better, but... Yeah, I, I'm just curious to see with Signetti bringing in his own true freshman quarterback, what, you know, because you know, you've got to look at it this way. He's going to establish his offense this year, and it's going to be, okay, here's the JMU offense. Here's the JMU, how it's going to run the offense the whole time that I'm here, no matter how long that that is going to be. And then you bring in your guy who's you've kind of picked, who's tailored to your offense, and I think it's pretty exciting. 
I'm thinking if you're a James Madison football fan, to be able to see Signetti go out and grab someone that he thinks is a good fit for the offense he wants to run, as opposed to tailoring a quarterback to run his offense. You know, here you got a guy who's running the offense already, and you bring him in, and and I mean, you know, if you let's say let's say, and I, we know nothing, you know, we're just we're just guessing here. Let's say he does come in, he does, you know, wow everybody, he does start as a true freshman then I think that's kind of an exciting situation for James Madison because it puts you in that take your lumps, wait for the growth mode that I think deep down inside all sports fans kind of like a little bit. Well, you think about the possibility of having a four-year starting exactly. quarterback. That's it's, what you think about. That. You think about those three words, four-year starting exactly. quarterback, four words. And I think when you yeah. think that, you know that first year, okay, if he doesn't, if he's not, if he's not winning CA Rookie of the Year, which would just be perfection if he did, but if he's not, you're like, okay, well, every lump he's taken this year is going to make him that much better next year and the year after that in his senior year. And I think it's it's almost like when they break down base, you know, when you, you, you blow up a baseball team, and you and I both lived through watching. I'm about base, to live through it yeah, again. You're about to live through it again, <laughs> watching our baseball teams completely blown up and then rebuilt back up, and you start watching guys at the double A AA and triple A level, and you know you get more excited. And I think that's a similar situation. Once again, if Kyle Adams comes in here, if Kyle Adams is ta- you know wows the crowd, and if Kyle Adams is tabbed as the starter when he gets here yeah I, I think a lot of ifs yeah oh yeah a lot of ifs and and remember they, they did have a quarterback commit when Signetti first got here he, he went out and, and tried to recruit Knox Kadem uh, who ended up at Virginia Tech Cody's Cody's alma mater uh the Tats tingling the Tats tingling yeah the Virginia Tech that hokey bird enough put it put it away put it away but uh anyway uh no they they thought he would be the quarterback mm-hmm. of the future the kid from Rome Georgia and he ended up flipping to Virginia Tech when Virginia Tech had some roster turnover. And everyone so, got mad online. All the fans got mad well, online. Yeah, that's, which, that's, which is always my favorite when fans get mad online. They'll always find a reason to get mad. But I think as long as they can hold on to him, and it seems like he's pretty level-headed, uh, just just talking to Kyle a little bit uh, about his recruitment, uh, that, that when he said he's shutting it down, he's shutting it down because he's trying to win another state championship. Uh, but you know, you never know what can happen. So until signing day... Uh, you kind of just wait and hold your yeah. breath as far as the quarterback situation goes because you never know. What if Purdue doesn't have a quarterback in the class and, and they decide, you know what, he's a winner. Let's go talk to Kyle well, again. Right. You, you never know. You think he shuts it down, but uh, you never know just based on past experiences. I think JMU fans should just all be aware of that when it comes to the quarterback spot. Uh, but as long as they hold on to Adams, I think they're set up pretty good at the quarterback position for the coming years because that had become a position where they, they really failed failed to get somebody in. Uh, in the past couple recruiting classes, I know after the year after Maloney committed, it was on purpose, uh, just because you know they felt like between the new they they were bringing in Danucci instead. Basically, that was the decision that they'd bring in Danucci as a transfer instead of recruiting a four-year guy. Uh, so basically, since then they've been looking for a quarterback, uh, and they finally found one now in, in Kyle Adams. And it's interesting; he's the fourth commit in the class. As this class is kind of starting to take shape, they've, they've stretched some borders here in terms of the footprint. They sure have, haven't they? Yeah, they, they, I can't remember the last time they had a player from Indiana. Maybe ever. I, I don't know. Uh, but as far as Massachusetts go, they used some of the connections that Matt Burkett, the new cornerbacks coach at Maine, had uh, to get into that, that school up there. Uh, what is it? Buckingham Brown and Nichols Academy. Law firm or school. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, Dewey Cheatham and how? <laughs> to get Sam Malignaghi, uh, the two-star athlete out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Antonio Webb, a three-star corner uh, from Chester, VA. And then uh, Mikhail Kamara, 
uh, from the Ashburn area. So I, the, the, the class is coming, starting to come together, starting to take shape. Is uh, Signetti is really like getting his eyes on kids, and that was another layer of this Kyle Adams situation. Is he wanted to see him throw in person? Adams came down, visited JMU twice, uh, and and threw in front of Signetti and Montgomery, and then that's when the offer came, and, and a couple days later he committed. So that's how it all played out. Man, I got a taste for triple X burger now. You know, man, oh man. Would you would you settle for a steak and shake? They had a good steak and shake in, in uh, West Lafayette as well, because it was the closest to our college town. We have to drive down uh, sixty five uh, to go and get a go to steak and shake, and occasionally get a triple X burger. I was gonna say on my on my trip, my ballpark trip with the college buddies, we hit a steak and shake along the way, and it was pretty good. I'd never had it before. Really, you never been to steak and shake? I'd I think they had one in Waynesboro. It lasted about three weeks. Yeah. Oh, was, really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was like there and gone in a hot minute. Yeah. You know, it, it is more Midwest, I would, I would say is. that. Yeah, it is. Where'd you, where'd you go good. to Steak and Shake at? Uh, somewhere in southern Illinois, I would think. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's a great country song, by the way, somewhere in southern <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, to, think, to think southern Illinois is in the same state that uh, you know, Chicago's in. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a different it, world it, down It's down very there, different. Man. That's a very different, different world. Down. But it's more, it's more, I don't want to say, it's not mountains, it's more hilly down there Hill. because you're starting to get the valley of the... The Ohio and then the, the Mississippi. And did you go through Cairo? Uh, from through where? Cairo, Illinois. I, I can't I can't remember. Okay. Uh, it's spelled like Cairo, and everyone like the, the, oh, the, the city the in Egypt, Egypt. but it's, it's yeah. pronounced Cairo. I don't, that's, I don't that's a little Egypt down there. You okay. got Cairo and Thebes, oh. which is spelled like Thebes, but it's pronounced. Th- pronounced I remember Thebes. driving through. Uh, what is it? Chris, Christmas, Indiana, or Santa oh, Claus, yeah. Indiana. Santa Claus, home of Jay Cutler. Yeah, Jay Cutler grew up there. Went to high school there. Yeah, I mean, so... It's like a pilgrimage for me, because I love Jay Cutler. I love me some, some smoking Jay Cutler. That'd be like a pilgrimage for me to go to Santa Claus, Indiana, you know, and, 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 and you know, throw roses on his childhood home and thank him for everything he did for the Bears organization in those five years. I, I think you might be the only one to do that. Yeah, I probably would. Do. <laughs> but, I, uh, I love me some Jay Cutler. Hey, hey, whatever whatever floats your boat That's my four-year starter, Jay Cutler. <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, so that's where we're at as far as the podcast today goes. And <laughs> Jay Cutler pilgrimage, steak and shakes, and triple X burgers. I love it. Well, it's not often we get to talk about the Midwest, but no. it, just just to kind of go back to your point though about them stretching a footprint. You think Indiana, Massachusetts, names you don't you don't see on signing day. Is that something we're going to see more of? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I mean, is that something we're going to see more of, or, or are they kind of are these just little I think little, the, little testing, you know. Put, Dipping their toe in the water, so to speak. I think the quarterback situation is just so unique that you kind of have to take the kid that fits best regardless of where he's from. Uh, And because of the connection between Montgomery and and people that that knew uh, Kyle Adams, I think maybe that's kind of a one-off situation in in the fact that they got their quarterback from West Lafayette, Indiana. I think you could see more toward the Northeast, though, whether it's, you know, stretching past New Jersey into New York, uh, Massachusetts, uh, if there are players up there, because you got to remember both Corey Heatherman, defensive coordinator, and Matt Burkett came was, from Maine. I was so I ask, think that's the main connection. I think right that's there. a little more natural. And then Andrew Jackson, defensive tackles coach, also has ties to New York City. He's from New York City, coached at Fordham for a little bit uh, before going to Penn State, and then eventually uh, down to Mississippi State. So, uh, so I think yeah, I think you'll see some different areas hit uh, outside of the the classic, you know, Maryland, Virginia. North Carolina, where you know Mike Houston's staff had had their ties yeah. and really got into North Carolina good, uh, so I think you'll see a little bit different, uh, and you're starting to see it t- take shape now. But let's let's switch gears, go go on to high school football, bring Cody into the conversation, uh, because I guess on the heels of last week's VHSL master schedule release, uh, the Shenandoah football. 
Class Shendell Valley Football Classic announced its schedule, and it's going to be a one-day event this year. Yeah, yeah, a little different. Um, I think it's always been a two-day event um, throughout its entire history. Uh, so for the first time, just a one-day event, <clears throat> um, mostly just the Rockingham County Schools and then three other teams, um, Rockbridge County, uh, LeRae, and Waynesboro, the other three. But, yeah, the uh, four Rockingham County Schools in Harrisonburg, which Tim Leach, the Spotswood AD, is kind of he's the mastermind behind all of this and, and kind of runs the show over there. And um, he's always made it clear that their first priority every year is is to get those Rockingham County Schools and to get Harrisburg in there. And so they kind of work with the other ADs, um, the five of them work together and try and find a, a week where the schedules work out, where they've got, you know, a couple of home games there. Um, you know, fortunately this year works out where Spotswood and Broadway, we've actually got a city-county matchup in the first round, or the first game of the day. So, you know, uh, several good games there across the slate, um, one-day event. I think I think it'll be, it'll be kind of nice just to get everybody there for one day and, and not spread across two nights, and I'm sure that'll – that would have to help, I would, I would think, with the gates and everything like that. Yeah, so it's November 2nd. It's all one day, as Cody said. It's at Bridgeport Stadium. JMU is on its bye week that week. Uh, so you have Spotswood and Broadway. It'll kick things off at 11. Uh, and then you get Harrisonburg against Rockbridge County at 1.30. East Rock against Loray at 4 p.m. And then TA and Waynesboro is the nightcap at 6.30. Just when you were kind of peeking through those matchups, I know we kind of touched on games last week, but when you looked at those, which were you like, Ah, what's this? This is the most intriguing matchup of that day, and I'll be there in a press box. Yeah, well, I mean, I think all of them have their own certain intrigue a little bit. Um, I think the Rockbridge County Harrisburg game kind of jumps out just a little bit on turf. Oh, turf. oh my yeah. goodness! I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Those two play. Those two offenses are going to be playing on turf. Because I, I made note last week when I talked about the ten games to watch. I, I, last year, I went down to Lexington oh. and, and covered a game, and it was a, a seventy-seven oh. to forty-nine shootout. I, th- I think I was in some hotel somewhere getting ready for JMU the next day when that was going on. I just kept looking at my Twitter going, what the heck is going on? I think, I, got, I, think I hit the road at like 1230 at night by the oh, time the game Oh, there's going to be 140 combined points scored in that game. Well, yeah, you think about it with all Harrisonburg's got back, Quentin Smiley back at the quarterback spot. Rockbridge always puts up points. They, Rockbridge will have Ty Rooley back at their quarterback who put up just ridiculous numbers last year. So that's the game that kind of – I mean, spots with Broadway is interesting. And I think that's interesting that they're at 11 a.m. Because with them being the city-county game, I kind of figured they might be later in the day. So I know um, when I when I tweeted out the uh, matchups, the Broadway assistant coach, um, Aaron Reedy, well, I don't think he was too happy about the 11 a.m. start. Because, I mean, obviously that throws off your, you know, it throws off your routine and everything. Yeah, for kids used to playing at 7 p.m. at night on Fridays, to, to wake up and play at 11 a.m. on a Saturday is a little different. That means breakfast pregame meal instead of a nice, you know, pregame grilled chicken or something like that. Uh, Jim, what was what was your favorite of the matchups when you saw the release? Uh, I'm changing it now. It's Rockbridge. Oh, okay. I, I mean, seriously, I'm changing it now. I didn't even think. About, I mean, I, what, I, that did not register. Those two offenses would be playing on turf. Here's what I like is that wasn't it five games last year? Yes, three on Saturday and two yeah. on Friday. So here, uh, lukewarm take, not a hot take. Here's my lukewarm take: five schools made four thousand forty six hundred dollars. Uh, uh, off this game next year or last year, okay. Even though they're losing a game with them all being one day, lukewarm take, they all take home more. Oh yeah, you're cutting the pie in yeah. less pieces. Yeah, and but 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 the flip to that is you're also cutting the gate one game. Yeah, but the, but I think what works here is that it being one day, and it being I mean if I want to go if I want to watch that Rockbridge County Harrisburg game. 
okay, I'm probably going to show up to watch that Spotswood Broadway game. And I think what this is going to do, yeah, I think this is a great move to, to cut that cut one one game out of it, have it on one day, and make these people just want to enjoy a good day of football. And and I think you know I, they brought home about forty six hundred dollars per home team last year, and lukewarm take they'll bring home closer to five each this year. Oh, that's that's an interesting, uh, that's 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 an interesting way to look at it. I just just me looking at the schedule. Why isn't the Spotswood Broadway game flipped with the TA and Waynesboro game? That just in terms of quality of games. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Tim Leach just wants to, you know, Tim, Tim is the guy in charge. I don't know if maybe, you know, he's trying to get, get, oh. get the Trailblazers, you know, get their game out of the way, and then he has, you know, handle other things throughout the day. I don't know. I'm not sure either. Um, that, I would feel like that's got to be the toughest time for any team to kick off is the yeah. 11 a.m. slot, just because you think they've got a – you're talking about a 7 or 8 a.m. wake-up call at the latest by the time they get to the field, go through everything. Um, that's just a tough adjustment for high school kids. But to Jim's point about the one-day event, I completely agree in, in terms of, I think, also with these teams now you have, you know, like I said, the four Rockingham County schools, Harrisonburg, those had the same, you know, last year when you had teams like Wilson and Lee playing, you wouldn't you wouldn't have fans from Spotswood maybe hanging around to watch those games. You wouldn't have fans from Harrisonburg staying around. Now with East Rock out of the Shenandoah, Lorraine's out of the Shenandoah, you know, I know Tim has mentioned possibly getting the Shenandoah teams back into it in the future, but I think for this year, I think this is a great test to see because I, I really think that now you've got four games where people might have, you know, the fans might have the same interest. And for different reasons, you've got three Valley District games right there. All six teams in the Valley play that day. Um, so that could have implications, and it's, it's late in the year, so that has implications on the on the standings and where they could be. Um, and then you've got East Rock Lorraine, which is one of the rivalries that went over from the Shenandoah over to the Bull Run. So I just think it's four games there that everybody in the stands will all have some type of interest in. Yeah, I, I was going to say the late in the year thing really adds to it, too, because I, normally I remember this probably would get played in October, but because of where Jamie's bye week falls, it, it falls toward the end of the high school season. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I pointed to that rockbridge Harrisonburg game last week as one of the games that kind of decide the Valley District. And, you know, tr- traditionally those games at, at, at JMU have at, a lot of times been blowouts. You've seen a lot of games that, you know, it's been very lopsided. I don't know spots would win there last year and be probably really bad and, and T.A. Rockbridge was like the only game, only really good game of the event. So this year, you know, having those games that late in the year with, with kind of postseason implications on them, it could, it could make for maybe a little bit more interesting day. Yeah. Looking at that, uh, I don't, do you see a, do you see a lopsided game on there? No. I, I mean, <clears throat> and, 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 and take out of the equation that maybe, you know, you know, maybe we've been talking up Broadway a lot. You know, the, the new flash has yeah, got us hooked. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's just take that out of the equation. Let's. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. If, 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 if you look good, you're probably going to play good, yeah. right? And, and the hype videos are fantastic. I only saw their hype video last week, but I mean, we haven't seen. We we, we don't know. There's a lot of question marks with that team. Like, yeah. Let's all be sure. honest for with sure. each other. Uh, sure. I mean, I don't. I mean, even with that said, I don't see a. I mean, I mean, I see a very high-scoring game on here, and then I see a very good defensive game on here, East Rock and Luray. Uh, but then after that, I don't. I mean, I guess maybe can TA contain little the Little Giants a little bit? I don't know what Waynesboro is bringing back in terms of high high-powered offense, but I mean they were known to put they were known to put up points in bunches last year. Uh, you know, I don't I don't see one on there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. I was looking at that earlier, and, and that Spotswood Broadway game, like you said, has the potential maybe, um, depending on what Broadway does turn into this year. We'll know more by the time the event comes around. 
But yeah, I mean, you look at those other games, Rockbridge, Harrisonburg will be two of the better teams in the Valley. East Rock, Loray, two really young teams that are kind of rebuilding a little bit. And then T.A. Waynesboro, you know, maybe they're not at the top of the district standings, but those are two teams who were right there even <laughs> towards the bottom last year. So, you know, it probably makes for a good game again this year. So I think you've got a potential for four really good games that day. Cody, did, did, the, did the players and coaches still see it as a thrill to go over to JMU? I'll, I'll never forget Jesse Lane a couple of years ago. Uh, in the week leading into it, I had Broadway the, the, the Friday before. He was like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be everything. Do kids still get that uh, excitement and energy uh, to go over to Bridgeforth? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, last year, you know, um, talking to the, the guys before and after the games, I mean, it's just it's a huge experience for them. Most of those kids aren't going to get to play on a field like that again, you know, after their high school career. So it's something that, that really is a memory for them. It's something fun for the coaches, fun for their, the teams as a whole to just kind of spend a night in a stadium like that and, and get to play on that stage. Um, I know the East Rock team last year, they loved, They always said they loved playing with turf. I mean, they were just thrilled when their game went back there for the um, for the regional semis against Gap. Uh, so, <laughs> the play showed how thrilled they were in that yeah, game. I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think they put up, I forget how many points now. It's, they scored the first three possessions. Yeah, I mean, it was just something silly. So, yeah, the kids love it um coaches enjoy it fans get you know they get to see their kids out on, in, in jmu stadium play it's just a cool experience um it's always run I, I think it goes very smoothly you don't ever really have a lot of uh issues and you know i think it's a, a just a good all-around experience for everybody do you like the one day you like the one day deal where everything's done in one day you get a friday night off <laughs> hey, we get an earlier we get an earlier friday night yeah I, I mean i do i think i like i said i think it will just make for a fun experience just because like i said i think that the, the fan bases involved here all have similar rooting interests all you know sponsored fans are going to want to watch east rock you know teams in the valley are going to want to watch harrisonburg after Spotswood might want to stay and watch the two teams that they're possibly competing with for a district title play right after. Playoff spot, too. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, yeah. You're, there's just so many different things on the line there. Um, you know, it's, it's a very small town, you know, so everybody kind of knows everybody anyway. So I just think it makes for a great atmosphere for the day. Yeah, I, I think the one day is fantastic. And, and, I, and uh, I think Tim Leach is a breakfast guy. <laughs> which is why he made his game earlier. He was gonna. He wanted to get up and eat breakfast anyway. Uh, but but when Cody, when you asked Cody about the excitement, I mean, you know, hell, I know last year, you know, Donnie Coleman at East Rock and Dale Shiflett at Spotswood were, were about as stoked as those kids were to be able to play there. You know, goodness gracious. I mean, Thurman, he played there in college. That's all. That's like going home to him. Though. Yeah, it is, though it is a little different than his playing days. It's a little bigger, I understand. Not, not quite Madison College. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's like going home for, for Thurman. But, I mean, yeah, that's a I, – I mean, I, I like the one day. I think it's going to lend to almost a uh, carnival-like atmosphere, you know. May, I'm not saying there's going to be a Ferris wheel out in the park or anything like that, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to have a very nice carnival atmosphere that I think I – you know, I may enjoy walking around and, 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 and chatting with people. At. It should be a good time. And you never know. Maybe, just maybe, one of these teams ends up with a, with a star, a future star that could play at JMU one day. You, you just never know. A couple of years ago, it was Lane, the legend, uh, for Broadway <laughs> with the uh, quarterback, but turned into a tight end and, you know, played well on JMU's roster on the practice squad. And I'll never forget when they made the, the announcement for the, for the inaugural one. Uh, you know, I, I caught, you know, I was looking for people to interview and I saw Jesse kind of standing out. And I'm not trying, I'm not being whimsical here. I'm not. I saw him standing outside on the, the, the what is that, the deck of, of the, what's oh, yeah. the, what's the rich people party floor over there? Uh, the, the club level. Yeah, the club level. He was standing out on the deck by himself. And I walked out there and said, what's up? And he's like, man, this is going to be great. He's like, this is all I've dreamed about in my whole life is to play football here. And, you know, there he was. And then 
There yeah. he is now. Mm -hmm. I mean, except he's doing it in, in, in purple and gold as opposed to, you know, white and green. And I think the last scholarship guy uh, was Medley, Devin mm -hmm. Medley, former Harrisonburg star who ended up leaving the team. So we can focus on academics, but uh, you just never know. You know, you never know when you get a local kid that could end up at JMU or a local kid that could end up back playing at JMU for another team, uh, you know? So yeah. uh, you just you just never know. Something else I wanted to touch on with you, Cody, in today's paper uh, had a story on somebody that'll keep playing football at the college level, Avery Atwell, uh, former Spotswood soccer star, uh, but played football this past fall, uh, going to continue his career at the college level. Yeah, I mean, just an interesting story there. I mean, he stood out on the soccer field for years. I know we've talked about it before on this podcast, but it feels like we've been covering him soccer for a long time. Um, decided to play football this year and talked to, you know, Dale Schliffett kind of when he got hired, he, one of his main things that he wanted to do was go through the halls and get, you know, athletes who weren't playing football, he wanted to convince them to come out and, you know, resulted in Rob Smith, the basketball star who, who ended up being an all region receiver. Um, he went and got Ben Conahan as soon as he stepped in the school, which now was the regional, you know, defensive player of the year. So you just, you got all these names and, and one of the guys he got was, uh, Avery Atwell, um, after talking to Connor Lister and some of those guys and, he came out and he started off as just their punter, and then slowly throughout the year, by the fourth or fifth game, he was he was doing kickoff duties. He was he was handling extra points, um, field goals. He was doing it all, and you know then Coach Dale Schiffler just kind of helped started helping him putting his name out there, and the interest just started kind of coming. And he just said that once it started coming, he was he was like, well, I've been playing soccer my whole life. Um, I've, I've had such a good time with this. And just decided to go for it. And now he's, you know, we'll be kicking at Shippensburg, um, Division II school in Pennsylvania. And, and, he, and from what he's been telling me is he, he believes he's got a chance to go in there and earn a starting start job right away. Yeah, right, that's right up 81, too. So not, not too far from here. Uh, the one thing that always st stood out to me about Atwell on the football field is I had that monsoon at Fort Defiance, that game, and it was played in <laughs> pouring rain. Uh, and it was thanks to his field goal, uh, there was a key field goal that he made uh, the, the Spotswood won the game, an important game at that time, because Fort Defiance had played well a couple mm -hmm. of weeks before, uh, and Spotswood was still trying to earn one of those top seeds for the postseason. Uh, they ended up winning that game because of a field goal he kicked. And after the game, he was just like, yeah, you know, I just went out there and kicked it. You know, it was, it was, it was wet, but I, I did it. Uh, I was always impressed by that, considering he had never played really. He had never really kicked before on the football field. Uh, so that, that adjustment, just going from, you know, non-football player to football player, regardless – of the position he plays, kicker, uh, I thought that was impressive. Yeah, and he said that that was his biggest thing was he just had to do you know a ton of reps at the beginning of the year and, and go over it and go over it and go over it and practice as much as you could because it's so different you know kicking a football from a soccer ball. Um, but I mean, it, the thing that just can't be stated enough is how important a good kicker can be at the high school level, and that's what I talked to Dale about yesterday was just. You know, having a guy like him who not only can make go out there for a field goal, because some teams don't even have that, um, but then, I mean, to, consistent extra points. Um, you know, on kickoffs, he's able to put it in the end zone a lot so that you, you erase any potential of a, a kickoff return. So just a lot of different ways he impacted the game, ways that you probably don't see, you know, statistically or anything like that. But I thought he was just huge for them all year. And, you know, for a guy who just started the sport a year ago, you got to think he's, you know, his potential. Is, I mean, he's only going up from here. Yeah, no, no doubt about that for sure. Good, good stuff, Cody. Jim, just before we kind of wrap up here, I wanted to get to something that you wrote about. Not often you have roller derby in the no, DNR no, sports section. No. How, how the heck did you find that story that was in yesterday's paper? Uh, got a phone call from the the coach of the Rocktown Rollers, who uh, Vanessa, who uh, told me that uh, one of their uh, Roller uh, roller girls was uh, heading over to the World Roller Games in Barcelona, Spain. She made Team USA in the roller derby event. 
And uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize uh, a number of things. I didn't realize there was something called the World Roller Games, and it's I think eleven different events they have: uh, women's roller derby, men's roller derby, uh, inline inline hockey, uh, roller slalom, r- roller downhill. It's basically it's like the winter. Think the Winter Olympics, but on skates. On roller skates, yeah. Yeah, on yeah, roller yeah, skates, yeah, yeah. and it just, uh, I, I'm glad I went out there. I mean, I was, uh, what an eye-opener. I mean, it was just a, it was a trip to talk to these these people, and and, and Lindy Schuster, who's the one heading over there, uh, I mean, of course, I had to walk around a parking lot of a skate center asking if anyone knew where Sadie Masochist was. That's uh, the, uh, that's, 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 that's the show ro- name? That's her roller skating name, and so I, you know, I felt pretty, pretty, uh creepy uh doing that <laughs> but eventually someone knew what i was talking about of course the person who was talking about her name's giggle hurts uh so it, yeah it just, you know and then i talked to the pain apple express after that uh but no it's great i mean i i grew when i was a kid we used to watch roller derby on tv and 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 it was like professional wrestling on skates i mean people were getting thrown over uh you know, the, 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 it's not like that anymore, man. It's it's a legit sport that still kind of keeps a little bit of that midnight movie camp mixed with punk rock in terms of the, you know, the nicknames and, and the, the, the makeup, because they wear a lot of crazy makeup. And, and, and uh, Lindy Schuster is just a, just a character, man. I mean, she's a self-described rock and roll girl. She's 38. Uh, you know, she's, you know, she's got, she's got, she's got a lot of ink on her body and, you know, we were just talking a little bit, and I asked her what got her into it, and this probably really personifies her. You know, I asked, what got you into this? And her, you know, it started with, well, I met this chick at a bar. And I mean, to, you know, and I, that really, I mean, that that's, if you can pick one line that describes what Lindy Schuster's all about, it would probably be, I met this chick at a bar. And, I mean, that, that was where her story on how getting into roller derby, but, but there's so many, I mean, there's so many layers to these uh, roller derby participants. I mean, they're all very, very smart. Uh, you know, Lindy Schuster's got a biomed degree from uh, JMU. She wow. works for Cat's Cradle. She does the catch, neuter, and release program for strays in, in the area. Uh, uh, Elena, who's Paint Apple Express, is, you know, former U.S. Navy, and I forgot what she does now. Uh, Gibble Hertz, Sarah Blue is a, uh, uh, Sarah Blue is a real name, by the way. Right. Uh, she's uh, like a, 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 a trademark consultant or something or other like you know or, or uh patent patent that's okay. a patent consultant and it's just and it was the best i mean i say this in full confidence it was the best interviews i had all year wow. and a full calendar year was talking to these and they're all pretty excited i mean they're very jazzed for uh for sadie masochist uh going over there you know they're gonna they're all planning on streaming uh the events of uh, opening ceremonies are fourth of july uh, but the women's competition does not start until the 9th, so that's Tuesday, over in Barcelona, Spain. And, uh, you know, she's pretty stoked. I mean, she, you know, she, you know, very, you know, calling herself the old lady of the group being 38. Uh, she's excited, man, and, and it's there's some different rules that she's got to deal with over there. Uh, the international game, you're not allowed to go backward or, or lateral to the track. You got They want to keep it moving forward around in the circle, so... And she'll be blocking, so she likes to hit people. So she'll be hitting people uh, pell-mell over there going for gold. And, and so just some, some minor rule tweaks for her, but she's going to, you know, she's looking forward to having some fun. And then when it's all over with, uh, like she said, two days to party afterward. Hey, that's, that's not a bad deal. I, I was reading your story. 81 different countries represented. Yeah, wow, that's, that's impressive. Countries. Yeah, and, and it's, I, the inline hockey looks interesting to me. 
I mean, I remember when I was a kid, they had that upstart inline hockey league that I forgot what it was called in Chicago. They had the Chicago Cheetahs. <coughs> and uh, I never went to it, but I mean, I was always interested, you know, because like, oh, inline hockey seemed like so 1980s, <laughs> 90s, LA gear kind of thing, you know, and inline skates were the thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be a pretty big event. I might have to. Check out one of her games. I'm curious. I might have to stream this thing. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to say the DNR flying is. Yeah, yeah, actually, yes. I wasn't. I was allowed to say it in front of you guys, but I leave tomorrow. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, wow. That's that's that. What what else are you guys working on this week uh, before you get to go on vacation? Yes, that's what I'm working on. Yeah. What about you? What about you, Cody? What's going on in, in your world this week? Well, I've just I t- been talking to uh, some of the ads and some of the coaches about all the all the Rockingham County schools have uh, installed lights at the softball fields. That's a, a big thing. Um, you Huge. know, a lot of the a lot of the Augusta County schools don't have them at all, um, and it's caused issues before with game results and everything else uh, last year. It was all kinds of different situations. So that's a big thing for them. A lot of the coaches, a lot of the players are really excited about that. Um, not having to worry about getting a game in before the sun goes down. Or and, play, uh, playing the five able, inning. Me, yeah, being able to get a full game in. So that's a big thing for them. Um, and then later this week, um, talking to um, Madison Shiflett, a former East Rock basketball player, was having a big year at uh, Mary Washington, um, played about 10 games, was was one of their leading scorers, and then um, suffered a torn ACL. So she's just been battling back through that, um, just kind of talking to her about her her rehab and her journey to get back to where she was. So, so that's what Cody's working on uh, in today's paper. I had a story on Brian Phillips, a new strength coach for James Madison football. Uh, that 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 was interesting to hear his perspective. You can read all about it in today's DNR. Uh, you can read all about Cody's story, too, that he had on Avery Atwell, which we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, from Spotswood, uh, who's going to Division II Shippensburg to continue his football career. And also in today's paper, we had Shane Metlin, who joins us now. Uh, Shane wrote about the women's basketball program at JMU, and and this is something that I had kind of forgotten about. I remember they were doing this, but uh, kind of forgotten about it until I read Shane's story this morning. And they're getting ready for their trip to Europe. Uh, Going to go to Amsterdam, Belgium, France, four games, ten days. Uh, that's next month, but uh, certainly something that, that we were, you were talking about with Sean O'Regan. Yeah, because it just kind of changes up their whole summer routine where, you know, you're usually kind of doing a lot of workouts. You're getting into some individual stuff you get practices during the summer you have different times where you're allowed to work with your team but when you go on one of these foreign trips that are approved by the NCAA then everything kind of changes they get early practices in August whereas a lot of teams aren't getting started with real practices till October um, they get some games under their belt so it kind of just really changes up the whole summer for JMU it gives them a little bit of a head start going into what's going to be, you know, a big season for them given the talent they have coming back to try to make an NCAA tournament for the first time in a few years. Yeah, I, I was going to say, how much does Sean have to find out? It's not like they're losing 10 players or not like they're losing five or six seniors. Uh, they have their core back. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more about just, you know, how what groups of players he's going to play together, how, how the rotation is going to fit. They're replacing, you know, a point guard who played a lot Logan of Reynolds. for four years. Yeah, yeah Logan Reynolds. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of an option there. He could go with his five seniors who, you know, even though Jackie Benitez wasn't technically a starter last year, she was the sixth player of the year in the conference, played starter minutes, scored points like a starter. They could slip her right to the starting lineup, um, let uh, Kamaya Smalls play the point a little bit more. Or, you know, you had uh, – 
Maddie Green last year, who was kind of the backup point guard as a freshman, who I hear has been, you know, looking even better, you know, this summer through some of her workouts and, you know, scrimmages and things like that. So, you know, maybe she steps in the starting lineup and you still have um, Jackie coming off the bench as kind of your little instant offense, you know, shake things up situations, and they'll still play minutes like there's she's a starter. Um, and then there's some other players, you know, um, Nikki Oppenheimer is a transfer from Syracuse. who will be eligible again next season. She maybe gets in the mix at point guard or plays, you know, both guard spots. So how he ends up using the players that he has, the rotations, you know, whether he goes with four guard lineups, goes a little bit bigger, things like that. That's sort of what he gets to figure out in these early games, early practices, and just how everybody's kind of got to mesh together. What are some of the things they're doing for preparation to be ready for, for this trip? Uh, because obviously, you know, they're, they're going to play four games. They still want to show themselves well. I know it doesn't count standings-wise because you're playing four teams. Uh, but what are some of the things that they're working on now in order to be ready uh, for that trip to Europe? Well, I mean, they're actually kind of getting ready to be into like a resting period yeah. before that. They're going to start real practices on August 1st. Um, you know, this time of year, they probably would be getting into some individual workouts or, you know, um, a few kind of summer practices. The NCAA allows you to do different things for different lengths of time throughout the year. It the NCAA. seems like it changes almost every year what you're allowed to do. But like, like I was saying, this kind of changes up just what the summer schedule is for them. And then they get to like a real, like this, almost like the season is starting August 1st, practice for a couple of weeks, and then they hit the road, you know, get on a plane and fly overseas. Um so right now they're kind of, you know, at a resting pace. They're going to be working with strength and conditioning coaches. But um, for them to be able to do that in early August, Sean O'Regan and his staff are not going to be able to really work with them in any kind of meaningful way, you know, in the gym. And uh, I, I get that. I guess, what is it, once every four years a team can take a trip overseas? Yeah, I think that's it, yeah. Okay. How did they? How did they decide on, on Europe? Because uh, I know some teams, do you know, they do South America – or do something in Asia, how did they decide on Europe? Oh, I mean, because I think the opportunities to play some of these games were there. Um, the um, Just, the, you know, the aspect of the trip, that's yeah. kind of, you know, a it's a team bonding thing. Yeah, it's yeah, a team and, bonding you know, thing. They're going to yeah. see, you know, some amazing things over there. They're going to be in Amsterdam for a few days. They're going to uh, go through Normandy, see kind of the World War II things. They're going to see everything there is to see in Paris that, you know, so it, you know, something everybody should get to do like in their life if they can pull it off and you know they're going to get to do it um as far as you know picking to go to europe i know there's a lot of french speakers on the team uh you know eleanor marchewski comes from uh quebec so she's a french speaker uh some of the coaching staffs have played overseas um professionally so they're it you know i think there's a good fit for them to like kind of feel comfortable and you know have some people kind of take the lead as far as you know speaking the language, uh, explaining the culture, things like that. So that makes a lot of sense for them at this point, too. No, I, I, I totally get that. With kind of this team, what is the expectation in NCAA tournament birth by, you know, by, by March next year? Uh, do they see that as, as kind of the end goal? Or, you know, depending on what happens, is the NIT acceptable? I mean, how do you kind of assess it for a team that's, you know, been clearly the best team in a colonial at times? Uh, I would say definitely for sure this past season. How do you kind of assess where they're at? Yeah, I mean, 
they're going to be extremely disappointed with being in the NIT again if next March, if that's the way it happens. Um, but you're in this conference, the CAA, where, you know, there hasn't been, it hasn't been a two-bid league for a while, and you're kind of at the mercy of what can happen in one weekend during the conference tournament, which we saw this year. And they were so close to getting that at-large bid this year. They just didn't have the non-conference win. Some of the teams that they scheduled were down. Um, right, they played, we call it Power 5 teams but they, they in football, but uh, they played those Power 5 teams that just weren't as good as they typically are. Yeah, and, you know, we'll be frank, and I think, you know, Sean O'Regan would be frank about this. They blew a game at Wake Forest that would have helped their cause a lot. Even though Wake Forest wasn't that good, you win a road game at an ACC opponent, and, you know, it ended up costing them late. The old Dominion and, game. Yeah. Or right. Hampton. Or Hampton. In, yeah. Right, Hampton. Hampton, Hampton, that one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you look at Wake Forest, that's a name brand that was, you know, an opportunity for them. Um, they lost to Maryland, but that's, you know, a really good team. Um, yeah. And, you know, they beat up on some teams like Georgetown, St. John's, Dayton, who just weren't quite as good as they typically are. Those are typically good, good main majors. Yeah. win. And, you know, a little bit higher than mid-majors because they're – well, Dayton, you know, they're Atlanta 10, but you talk about those Big East teams. They're yeah. not really a mid-major when it comes to basketball. Um, they just weren't quite as good as normal this this past season. Um, so those wins didn't quite register as much. Um, they're going to get Maryland at home this year. They're going to play at the uh, Cavalier Classic over at UVA. So they're going to have some opportunities early in the season, which is part of what, you know, Sean has talked about with this trip is, you know, we need to get off to a good start. So getting a head start on the season, on the practices and, you know, some game action Hopefully that pays off in November when you're going to have some games that could really matter down the stretch if for some reason you don't win the CAA tournament again. And the CAA should be a really competitive league. I think JMU is going to be the best team, but you look at Towson coming off winning that tournament with most of their team back. You look at Drexel has their entire starting five back. One of those teams being able to knock off JMU in a one-and-done tournament isn't totally out of the question at all. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we talked about it last year, how Drexel had given Jamie some problems at times, or even, or this, I should say, this past winter during a podcast, how Drexel could give Jamie problems and how Towson could give Jamie problems. So uh, it's, it's it's an interesting time for that James Madison basketball program for us because for as much success as they've had, they haven't had that, they haven't reached that ultimate goal yet of getting to the NCAA tournament uh, with, with Sean at the helm. Now, when when you when you talk about non-conference schedules, because we we just touched on how how last year the schedule was down, uh, you mentioned you know going to play Maryland, going to play Virginia. What else do they have on the schedule? And I know we talked about the men's schedule last week. Is it similar to the men, where the women are going to be on the road a little bit more, uh, because in in anticipation of the new uh, Atlantic Union Bank Center opening? Yeah, I don't know if they're doing that quite the same. Um, they're going to get Maryland at home. That's just the way the two for one deal with them worked out. Um, so that kind of almost, I guess, serves as a last hurrah almost at the, at the convocation, convocation center. center to get a team like that in there. Um, considering the support that the women's program gets, you know, that'll be a huge crowd for that game, I'm sure. Um, you know, they are going to, the schedule isn't quite finalized. I think they'll play a lot of the same teams that they've been playing, you know, some of those big East teams that should kind of help. You know, when it comes to RPI, which is what they still use for the women's mm-hmm. game as far as, you know, kind of building their resume. And then you look at, I wrote about this too, you look at some of the other teams, as Drexel or Towson that we talked about, 
they're going to play some pretty good schedules too in the non-conference. And if they can win a few of those games, then you talk about just the RPI of everybody in the league improves. Any and chance of a two-bid two bid league? You know, it's the women's committee, I think, in particular, has not been very kind to mid-majors in recent years. But I think you look at those three teams and even like UNC Wilmington, that they have all this talent returning. I think you got to start, if you're the league office at least, sort of start pressing, like making that case that these are teams that should be looked at throughout the whole season, not just in February when we start doing bracketology things and paying close attention that, you know, maybe you should start pushing that message that, hey, we've got more than one good team in this league. And, you know, if a James Madison goes 14 and one or, you know, 15 and one in conference play, but loses in a championship game, maybe that's just a sign that Drexel or Towson or whoever it is, is also a really good team that is capable of uh, doing something. Oh, interesting for sure. What else you got going on? What else you working on? Uh, right now, I know we're going to talk some men's basketball next week. We'll kind of bounce back and forth, but what else are you working on so people know uh, to think that is pay attention to the DNR? Uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, – I'm going to have something on uh, some – call it recruiting, but uh, sort of a not supposed to be recruiting going on with uh, the major conference programs getting involved with players on mid-major rosters – this is in C- men's basketball. CA. Yeah, yeah, men's basketball. You look at um, this very late transfer. This just happened at Delaware. Um, their coach had some interesting things to say to me today. So I'm talking to a few other coaches. I'll have something written about that in the coming days, just about what that means, how it works in this conference, whether or not there's poaching going on. And it all comes back to we end up talking almost every week, it seems like, about those two words, the transfer portal. Oh, gosh. You, you know, and, and, and how it's supposed to work and how it works in reality, um, whether or not, you know, you know, when you put your name in there, then you're free game. But are people still going after players who haven't indicated that they're interested in transferring? Yeah, it's uh, dicey when you when you when you start doing that, and we'll we'll talk about that next week once your story is released. I don't want to I don't want to spoil your story and then give give people too much. They they should still be subscribing to the DNR and reading yeah. along. Uh, but anyway, good stuff, Shane. Uh, we also got the Turks going on. I think you'll be out there tonight. Yeah, that's the plan. Unless it rains on us, it's looking pretty cloudy right now, but we'll, we'll see. Okay. I think it's twenty nine percent chance of rain by first pitch, so we'll uh, see what happens. All right, so I got the Turks tomorrow. Uh, the Valley League All-Star Game is this weekend. Uh, I know some JMU players are having some good summers in the Valley League. I think Trey Dabney is a Valley League All-Star, the third baseman for JMU. Uh, so I'm sure we'll catch up with those guys too as well. Uh, kind of keep you informed what's been going on, uh, not only with the Turks, but with some familiar faces. I know uh, Mike Bocock uh, and Woodstock, uh, his Woodstock team, make the return trip uh, to Veterans Memorial Park tomorrow, which is why I'm going. Uh, to see Bocock versus Bob Weiss, a, uh, a nice battle of two, I guess you could call them county baseball legends. Is, yeah. is that fair? I, I'd say those are kind of the uh, the Valley League baseball names. Like when, Yeah, when you think, you think of, of Bocock and Weiss. In the history of that, those are the names that come up. And yeah, I mean, those two guys have had some great players play for them in the league between them. I know Bob has had Juan Pierre and Mo Vaughn, David Eckstein, uh, well, big leaguers, former big leaguers. I know... Uh, Mike Bocock had Daniel Murphy, uh, had some other guys, uh, uh, former first baseman for the A's. I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, had him as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, just some just some real quality players. Both guys have coached in the Valley League, and it'll be fun to see them go at it. 
I know they've have they've had a rivalry dating back years and years by this point. But uh, so that's what we're working on. Of course, you can stay up to date with us on JMU. Check out Shane's women's basketball story. Uh, James Madison football, as we talked about, as we open the show, the commitment of the quarterback that'll be in tomorrow's paper. Uh, so pick a cop, pick up a copy of the DNR. Uh, until next week, big thanks to Cody, Shane, and Jim. Uh, for all those guys, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.